Welcome to the second episode of Head Threads. Thanks for joining us as we delve into the doldrums of our local music community and place some broader context around what we're doing with our print magazine. The context namely resides within the people and creative projects that exist upon a wide spectrum in this city as we attempt the impossible task of making sense of it all. It's pretty easy to imagine how things can slip by, dip under and duck out of perspective in a world of tunnel vision tendencies. Sometimes we seem not to notice the echo of our own voice within the chamber that is attached to our own heads. So to alleviate that echoing hum, today we've drafted in one of the wisest heads of all. Someone who has gouged out a career by finding beauty in the fringes or offcuts. Noise in my head selector, curator, radio host and DJ, efficient space label boss and enthusiasm's editor, Michael Kusick. Michael's prolific presence can be described as nothing but an individual sonic excursion with Melbourne's music scene as the backdrop. Starting out by faking it week to week for his show on Triple R and then later NTS, he quickly garnered a reputation for unearthing the obscure. Today he stretches this reputation past excavation towards rejuvenation with his reissue label Efficient Space a sanctuary to down but not forgotten avant-garde releases from both Australia and across the globe. A collection of music so warm it doesn't transcend itself. So dulcet it listens rather than speaking for itself. It's not pretentious or indescribable. In fact, it is described in the form of print publication enthusiasms. A collection of stories and curiosities that explore their diverse legacies of music released on the label as well as other individual escapades into the minutiae of people, sound and art. From 90s Australian dance music, late 20th century folk pop and lounge, 80s DIY industrial, indigenous electronica, dream pop, Jamaican rhythm, street soul, post-punk and beyond. It's truly a deep dive into the outskirts of modern contemporary music. The second edition has just been launched and celebrated at Licorice Pie in Collingwood Yards before lockdown number five. A girthier rendition than the first, but just as dignified. We're giant fans and it's a pleasure to have you with us today, mate. Thanks for inviting me round. Thanks for coming over. No, no worries. Um, yeah, first of all, how have you been? How has lockdown 5.0 treated you? What's kept you um, busy? Caught up on like two years of minimal sleep. <laughs> attended to a lot of things that needed looking after. Do you feel rested? I do. Yeah. But it's actually nice to have someone uh, come over and make some human contact for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, and before the lockdown, you managed to sneak in the Enthusiasm's launch party. Yeah, lockdown came in like the day after, so yeah, I got pretty yeah. lucky there. How'd it go? It was good. I mean, you know, we've been a record label for six years and I don't get to do many events. It's all quite behind closed doors and through record stores. So it's actually nice to kind of meet the people that, you know, are buying your records or showing interest or streaming yeah, totally. your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Had some friends DJ and... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah, that was yeah. fun. And so what I do really want to talk about today is the Enthusiasms publication. Um, but I guess before we get into that, um, we should probably talk about the label and the music that yeah. the magazine is sort of inspired by in the first place. Um, and because on the surface, I think efficient space doesn't really have like this linear description that. 
I think it's sort of due to its eclectic output. Um, but we get a pretty good glimpse of it in the mag itself. Um, just like the madness behind, or the methods to the stories and the curation behind it all. Um, but I'd like to hear like your words and like what that curatorial process is sort of like with Efficient Space. Um, maddening is definitely um, a word that comes to mind. Like not a lot of decision making happens without a lot of painful second guessing. Yeah. But I, I mean, I definitely look at the catalogue and I'm really proud of what we've put together. And as you said, it's covered a lot of territory. I guess I'm just trying to find things that may not necessarily exist if we hadn't initiated it, mm. which I guess, you know, I guess there's the reason why I've only done a handful of contemporary stuff, because generally speaking, mm. you know, musicians are pretty able these days. They can put something out, chuck something up on Bandcamp, get something pressed at Program or Zenith locally. So I guess just trying to find those people who are maybe a little less engaged with how relevant their music is and trying to convince them that there's an audience there for them now and walking them through that path and trying to extract a story out of them and pull out archival photos and master tapes and just kind of see where it goes from there. It sounds like it's much more a case of you chasing down a lot of things rather than what seems to happen today is um, people approaching you to put stuff out. I can't think of any instances where I've even received a mm. demo or a referral from something. It's, actually, it's strange how little it happens, mm. um, which is kind of fine because I want to yeah. do my own thing anyway. But of course, encourage anyone to send something through if yeah. they think I'd be into it. Yeah, yeah, shout out. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, yeah, to say, like, the first words out of your mouth are that it's maddening because um, I think my outside perspective on the label is that it actually seems to emanate this sort of um, lackadaisical patience to it. I don't know, it's sort of um, like the histories that you're sort of picking out and like divulging, they seem so ready to be told sort of without begging for it. And they're not really projecting anything at all. And I think the best way, it's almost like if you have a grandparent sitting in the corner of a room at a family function and like they yeah. don't they don't speak until like they need, someone's got some advice that they need or like there's a tale that needs to be told. Um, is this, and it's, it's weird because I, I was going to ask, is this like a sort of conscious temperament you have to like the, um, to how the label is sort of received by people or is it just a bit more organic than that? I guess what you described then is, I guess you see that end result and you maybe miss a mm. lot of the, toing and froing and the yeah, totally. conversations that happen behind closed doors, which again is another reason why this magazine exists because, you know, I'll sit down and have an amazing interview with an artist to write their release bio. And obviously the release bio will only cover a small fraction of it. You can't mm. put everything in, you know, a couple of hundred words. Mm. And then this audio file will just sit on my hard drive. And then they'll pull out all this archival imagery and, you know, yeah, we use one for the press shot pitched a couple of different magazines or some online publications, they didn't go for it. Okay, let's relegate it on the hard drive again and it doesn't get seen. Mm. So I guess it was more, um, yeah, the magazine exists as a kind of vehicle to kind of liberate all these things that are just sitting there unseen and to try and tell the stories a little, in a little more detail, to be able to work with 
people that are on other labels that I'm inspired by or adore, but I don't get to put out on my own labels. So like, like recent issue, there's a friend runs a label called Palto Flats in America and, you know, cover one of his artists, Roland P. Young. Um, and even for writers and photographers and artists, like all these people are in my orbit. It's a mm. good way to engage them as well. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, being a reissue label as well, um, there's sort of like an inherent like transcendence of time, I guess, between the stuff that you're pulling from the past and into like now. Um, and the mag- like enthusiasms, it's there's some really interesting articles in both these mags that sort of directly and indirectly speak to this kind of concept. Um, but before we get into those, I guess um, I'd sort of like to hear what it means to you to yeah bring a record into the present context and like what kind of considerations you make when you go through that process um i mean there's definitely a serving element where you know you're trying to satisfy the artists you're working with's legacy and story so it's definitely like that becomes like a big part of it and then also I guess it's kind of like a consistent way that efficient space records are somewhat presented like my friend Steel Bonus is a graphic designer and you know he has a certain way or a certain consistency as to how um, you know all the sleeves look and how the magazine looks and speaks to each other um, but generally speaking yeah just to try and find like the best possible audio and make it sound as true to the original or you know make various improvements for the modern times yeah yeah um i guess that's definitely one of the most important things i can't imagine that's easy either kind of depends on what era you're working with like you know more recently we've been exploring you know tape releases and cds Mm. you know they're a little harder than to transfer than you know, Betamax and quarter-inch reels and, you know, things yeah. are a little more antiquated, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was actually listening to the Oz Echoes thing yesterday as well and can't imagine a compilation like that is how easy to put together because there are so many different sources that you're trying to work with, which would come from every which way, I imagine. That one's interesting. I don't know if it's that, um, again, that era of artists, so the 80s, but around the time that I was reaching out to people, it also coincided with a time where they just archived, or well, you know, digitally transferred mm. all of their archives. Yeah. So at some, some, yeah, divine reason, most of the people I reached out were just yeah. like, oh, two weeks ago, I actually just transferred all my tapes. Yeah. Like, if you're interested in that track, here they all are. Yeah, yeah. What are what are some of the examples of the uh, harder ones that you've had to put together? <sighs> Actually, trying to think what's been like the most manicured. Um, fuck, I actually can't really think. Uh, it's one I don't really want to talk about because it was a bit of a cover-up job. Um, I don't know. This is compilation Sky Girl, and I guess that came from literally all sources, from you know original vinyl copies, because nothing. Uh, 
you know, earlier in that process had survived. There's cassette transfers, there's, you know, we baked master tapes, we kind of did like anything and everything. Yeah, it's a bit of an amalgamation of all formats, but I think it sounds pretty seamless. Oh, Sarah, I'm right here with you, though the distance divides us I feel closer every time I talk with you, and it stays with everything I do, all the people that can only criticize, and all obstacles that plague us like flies, we can overcome, and above it we will rise, like a phoenix that has taken to the skies. Because, um, yeah, I was one of the pieces I'm like really entranced by. Well, a couple of pieces actually are Bridget Small's articles uh, in both issue one and issue two on the legacies of like the Clifton Hill Community Music Centre. Yep. And in the first one, um, she investigates with Jane Joyce and John Crawford's um, tape collective rash decisions. And she prefaces this article with the unreliability in memory about these things without having that archiving that you're talking about um, and how it sort of leaves us in this like kind of precarious position where we're post-rationalising all of... And potentially um, misrepresenting a lot of stories or creating new narratives that are untrue. That's, um, Mm, you know, that's definitely a consideration that comes to mind when we're kind of rationalising projects and working out how to best serve them up. Mm. And then in issue two, her conversation with Ross Bant um, sort of ascends into like uh, sentimentalities of like um, spatial and environmental awareness over time. And But um, they're both like quite rare introspectives into our own local music histories. Um, and they raise a lot of interesting questions about sort of how we choose to operate now within the music industry. And I was going to ask about the intention of these stories, but I don't think it's so much about that. I think it's more um, like, how do you think they can sort of help us understand those narratives about like our local music history and like a term like um, like Australian music, like when we are trying to like, because I think Australia is quite, um, we're not the greatest at it. We sort of steal stuff from overseas quite a bit and like rationalise yeah. it in our own sense. But to do that in our own local sense as well. It's actually like something I hadn't even really conceived of until reading this article. I guess that Clifton Hill music scene um, is kind of, a, you know, a, the backbone of my local music surveys, you know, obviously like little bands and Chesworth, David Chesworth, Philip Brophy, all those names you mentioned, um, you know, they certainly... Um, yeah, I don't know, something's just like strangely compelling about it and, you know, definitely bought a lot of those records and researched that and fantasize 
about that time a lot. And how did that, um, yeah, how did that influence you, I guess, in your, your own musical um, narrative, I guess? Probably more the DIY mentality more than anything and just, you know, literally working with what you have right in front of you and not, you know, it's not a case of like, I can only do this when I get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Mm. It's like, just do it now with what you have in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that sort of level of experimentation is still, is highly prevalent now or do you think it's... I would say it was, to be honest, I have don't go out and see a lot of live music, particularly obviously for the last year. But I mean, most definitely it's happening. Yeah. Go to Make It Up Club yeah, yeah. every week and, you know, Liquid Architecture shows and Play On and there's certainly, yeah. you know, things happening around the clock. Yeah. I just can't get to them all. And what are your thoughts on, um, because like you do a lot of like Oz Echoes, like I mentioned before, like a lot of Australian reissues, um, but also a lot of stuff from overseas as well. Um, yeah, what are the sort of, like I guess, differences, but also what are the like positives you see from like releasing an Australian thing and also from like releasing an international thing as well? I mean, I'm probably more driven to explore my own backyard. Again, that case of, you know, maybe all the sense that if, I didn't initiate this, it might not happen. Whereas, you know, yeah, I could release a record from a French artist, but, you know, there's every possibility that a local French label might do that as well. Of course, if, you know, I'm head over heels for it, I will go above and beyond and make sure that happens. But my main interest, yeah, as you said, is with local stories and... Um, Fuck, what was the question again? <laughs> um, I think it was just like the sort of the differences between Australian and um, international releases. I think he kind of answered yeah. that anyway. Um, I mean, it's certainly a lot easier digging in your own backyard. You know, people are only a phone call away and, you know, you can, I mean, you know, when you're able to travel, like I can go to any Ransom's house and sit down with him and he can play me demos for six hours and I can be like, all right, I'll take that one, that one, that yeah. one, that one. And we can have all this chat in between. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly covering, can cover a lot more territory. Mm. Um, there's a Spanish artist I'm working with at the moment, Pedro, who uh, is Belvian, his, his alias. Um, and we have amazing email exchanges, but everything's filtered through Google Translate. And, um, you know, it's a genuine relationship, but there's a lot of innocent misunderstandings <laughs> and... Yeah. Um, Frustration in the translation, like I wish I could be a bit more expressive than I can, but I kind of just have to like yeah. dumb it down just to get the message across. There's kind of a nice simplicity in that though. Um, I think sort of compared to like, yeah, maybe you get like these amazing um, chats and stuff about local music, but um, yeah, we're so good at rationalizing it and stuff now. Yeah. That, yeah, sometimes it's like, it'd be nice to cut through all of that. I can imagine. I think, um, you know, like sonically, spiritually, well, however you want to say it, like, that, you know, even though these projects come from different parts of the world, there, are, there is something that marries it. And mm. I guess, yeah, the label is the connecting dots. Totally. And, um, yeah, another incredible article that, once again, sort of circumnavigates this concept of time. Um, 
is Fergus Clark's conversation with Conrad Standish and Sam Carmel of yep. CS Plus Cream. Uh, I'm so glad that you spoke to these guys because uh, they can be a little bit aloof um, in terms of like public interviews and stuff. Like they're they're like a little bit behind the scenes. Funny you mention that because they're both like age-old friends of mine. I have infinite respect. But we are just so comfortable with each other. I was just yeah. like, I can't do this, this interview myself as much as I want to. Yeah. And luckily reached out to Fergus, who's, you know, a friend who I met through his own touring in Australia. And we kind of, you know, keep in touch on a lot of things. He was kind of happy to do it. But he extracted things out of them that I never would have been able to at my own volition. Yeah, so you guys, you had the release um, with them, I can't remember when it was, but it was with um, the new... Blazer Sound System? Blazer Sound System. It was probably System. around this time last year. It was kind of at the start of the pandemic. So it was, yeah, it was just when like plants and shipping and everything was starting to go a bit haywire. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a really interesting pairing, that release. Um, how did it come about? That one came about actually Standish or CS Conrad. Um, he was actually my postman and would drop off my mail every day, um, mainly before I had this space. So I'd just be working from home. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, we were, our friendship was probably like super tight. Mm. And I mean, like CS and Cream, it's like nothing I've ever really heard before. I definitely imagine, I quite often recount the time when he sent me their album Snoopy. And you just have those moments that probably only come around every couple of years. And you, you chase the repetition of that moment, but it never happens for, you know, for an unknown passing of time. Thing that they stand for as well. Yeah. Get it back. So I guess I was just a fan. I was just like, hey, you know, we'd love to do a record. And, you know, we've been friends for so long. We've never done anything before. Same with Cream or Sam Cream. So they kind of initiated that. And they wanted to do a split release with someone they were connected with and Blaze the Sound System. I guess they're kind of like their New York counterparts. Mm. Conrad Standish and... Nathan Corbin have a long-standing friendship. Um, Nathan's done a lot of work with Conrad's wife, Janine Standish's band, Hate Rock. Hate Rock yeah. You know, produced records, made video clips. Mm. Um, they came out and toured together. Like Blazer Sound System did like a you know a couple of shows with Hate Rock. So it kind of just all came from that. It's just yeah. 
in those half a world between us, there's always yeah. just like one degree away. And when you read the piece on Blazer Sound System, like the synchronicity between those members and how they came together is kind of magical in yeah. a very similar sense. Both stories, CS Plus Cream and Blazer Sound System, share like, yeah, this narrative of like experimentation and improvisation and like spur of the moment sort of opportunities, like even the ways they came together as like duos. Yeah, kind of running on parallel tracks. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess like the idea of experimentation is that it's not really based, it's not based on history, it's based, based on like a moment in time. Um, and I think. Is it Conrad says it in the article with Fergus that he, I think he likens it to um, how a surfer must feel when he catches a wave or whatever. And then, like even even the article is called um, "Time is Time is a Bozo," isn't it? Just pinch that from an album track under like, duress, but um, yeah, I think it's on Snoopy as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know when you got a deadline, it's just like, well, I gotta start pulling out some. Yeah, yeah. Article titles but I think, real fast. I think the title suits the article perfectly because it, yeah. it really does, um, yeah, it really does. It's almost the opposite to what the Bridget Small articles with Clifton Hill were sort of about, um, like they're sort of drawn out over time. This one's very much about like the moment and it just, I think it proves that time is I actually... I it took so long to print that, you know, there's like multiple references to Trump being in office and... All these things, of course, like by the time it yeah, yeah. comes out, most of people's observations about lockdown, the pandemic, Trump is kind of old news. Mm. Um, but I guess in that sense, maybe it's you know something that you put on the shelf and a couple of years back you pull out again and to signpost for the times. Are there any other stories you'd sort of like to talk about? I know the phone chat that you had with Richard H. Kirk. Um, I don't know much about him, but the interview seemed pretty out there um what was that like yeah i sent that to a friend and he was kind of like oh he sounds pretty full of himself yeah there was a lot of and i was and i was like i i hate that that came across that way because he was actually the most like humble um mm, you know I didn't get self-deprecating character. He was yeah, like, yeah, I heard a lot of nihilism and like self-deprecation. Yeah, yeah it was, it was like ego. very little seriousness to everything. It yeah, was. Um, yeah. I think his comments about um, 
him like the smoke like the nicotine patch test they're doing during COVID and him being a smoker he was like kind of clinging to and yeah I'm sure it's a there's a very um Sheffield sensibility that I I mean having not been there I probably went over my head but um no that was definitely a super fun conversation yeah and yeah, that's a bucket list conversation. He's like a real hero of mine. I was just like, I can't believe that even happened. How long were you on the phone to him to, uh, for? Um, yeah, we spoke for about a, probably a good hour, and I actually tried to wind it up more than a few times, and he was just kind of happy having a chat, a chin wag. Yeah, yeah. I think I got I kind of sensed the point that maybe he hadn't had many conversations because mm. he was, you know, of a, of a vulnerable age and... Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of yeah definitely taking COVID very seriously and locking the door yeah, yeah. to the outside world yeah well it's nice that you can sort of capture that because I think that comes through in the article as well which is like yeah. a nice little sentiment um, and he's one of the few artists in there that you haven't released anything for yeah I mean he's so established and has so many um, you know long-standing label relations I would assume I will never release yeah. a record which again is one of the other motivations of the label like I don't necessarily have to profile things that I'm working directly with and if anything it's um, a good reason to try and share things that I'm that influences me motivates me to run the label even though we're not directly aligned mm. Do you see the mag um, in the future having a lot more articles of people you haven't released with? Because you're going to run out eventually. I mean, yeah, I was about to say, I would imagine that's kind of the nature of it continuing because, mm. you know, we can only put out, you know, at best like three records, you know, if we're lucky, four or five records a year. That's just not enough stories to fill yeah. the pages. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't want it to be as like, you know, label absorbed as well if there's a way of involving as many people as possible the more the merrier yeah i think i'm really looking looking forward to hearing the story behind robert welsh's release which is out quite soon singing dust yeah i guess a lot of this stuff is kind of already ready you've probably already done the artist bio and stuff for it um that one was actually really interesting because we were in a holding pattern for about seven months because james who is co-releasing this record with me he actually initiated the whole project. This is maybe like four years ago, so it's oh, been wow. it's been simmering for a very long time. That's a real passion project for him. I can't believe it's finally happening. But um, he wanted to interview Robert for the liner notes, and I convinced him to get this app that was recording um, phone conversations, mm. which he got. Ends up having a conversation with Robert for. I think it was like three hours <laughs> and it didn't record. Oh, it's like my worst nightmare. And I was just like, quickly grab a pen, just like start scribbling down as much as you can possibly remember right now. Anyway, over time we realized that, you know, maybe it wasn't necessary to do liner notes for this release and maybe we're forcing a narrative that perhaps mm. is somewhat untrue or not organic which is what you kind of suggested in the past so we scrapped that idea but i would like to feature robert in some capacity hopefully james is willing to do a second round it was actually so much that i found out about this artist through helping james prep for this interview that i was just like wow i actually had no idea 
I guess it was kind of one of those like sought after Australian records, you know, most people who are into esoteric Australian records know this. I used to use to work at Licorice Pie for quite a few years and I've never owned a copy, but they had a copy behind the shelf. And my weekly practice would be like basically start the day with this on the platter, listen to it through, and I just became obsessed yeah. with it. Um, left Licorice Pie and then later found out that it was actually, um, you know, a big no-no to play something on the system that wasn't for sale. Oh, really? So happy I got it. Um, Get people asking questions that you can't answer. Yeah, yeah, I squeezed in a few listens before it was um, outlawed. But yeah, I guess reissuing this record will be as close as I'll ever get to owning it. Um, so yeah, hope, hopefully answering a few prayers with the release of this one. It's um, kind of a pretty unprecedented Australian record. I'd, like I know of jazz records, but yeah, this like devotional tip, it's gotta be one of a kind. stuff in the near future either like record label wise or enthusiasms wise or anything um enthusiasms that's kind of weird i mean you must experience this from head threads you put one magazine out and you celebrate for a day and you just like damn better like sit down and yeah. start plotting out the third one i mean you have a far better success rate of getting them out um it's just not easy. There's just yeah. so much. Um, well, it is. I think every time I finish a mag, it's herding cattle and oh, um, dealing cats. with a lot of different collaborators. Mm. But yeah, chisel down a few ideas. A lot of near misses from the second issue that I haven't given up on quite yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the feeling I have is you always feel like you leave so much on the table still, even though you release this thing that you've worked so hard on. There's always. Um, so many other stories that come up during the process of making it that you want to explore but you just don't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of releases scheduled for the next year that I'm um, yeah, also like banking ideas for. As I said, you know, the hard drives yeah. filling up and it's just yeah. like, we've got to find some way to get this stuff out there. But 
yeah, music press isn't what it used to be, and you know what, I'm fine with that. I'm just going to do it on my own terms. That's cool. Yeah, it's nice to hear. And um, maybe to finish off, because um, I asked you for a story last week, yeah. um, which we're going to be publishing in something that I'm not going to announce on the podcast. But in case people don't get to the publication and do listen to the podcast, do you maybe want to retell that story of you at Golden Plains? I uh, can tell that story again. About a decade ago, whenever it was. Um, what I realised was, yeah, it was like the first Golden Plains in 2008. My friend Woody, who was the booker, invited me to play for what I understood was just between two bands for a free ticket back then. Um, interstitial DJing, you know, it wasn't credited, it wasn't on the program. Yeah, just fill the space. Um, I wouldn't have had email on my phone, so if there were any details that I would have questioned, I was, you know, wouldn't yeah, even be able to pull yeah. it up and confirm it. It was also done by word of mouth. All done by word of mouth. Wake up, or, you know, in the early hours of Golden Plains, like, walk up to the stage, I play this 20-minute set, thinking I'm killing it. <laughs> Playing some good tracks as well, from what I heard. Yeah, what was it? Like Congos, Phantom Band. Yeah, thinking back, I was actually like, oh man, I used to love those records. Um, yeah, and I thought, yeah, let's be efficient with my time every minute at that incredible amphitheater um, is precious. So I was just like, oh, you know, I have my trip now. And then by the time Comet's on fire and the slits are on stage, I will be like all senses firing in for the weekend. Ready to go. Um, left the stage, ran into Woody on the way out. I was just like, hey, thanks so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. I'll see you later. And he's just like, well, what are you talking about? You're meant to be playing for the next, like between the next six bands. <laughs> and I just sunk in disbelief and from then on it was just were you feeling the trip at this point i don't think so but something about hallucinogenics that they really hit me far faster than a regular person and before i knew it like i'm literally looking at the ground and it's covered in scorpions snakes <laughs> spiders i'm looking at the trees in the background and they're all like rotting and black tried to get some relief in the bathroom and the walls are closing in the paints running like it's there is like there is just no relief um and i guess i must have missed you know because you're playing in intervals of 40 minutes so a band would play then you would be up next I would have missed. I would have missed at least one, maybe two, just trying to put myself together. <laughs> What's Woody's reaction at this point? How's he how's he dealing with um, it? I can remember him and a friend laughing. Not not out of like lack of care. Yeah, yeah. Um, just in the situation. Just in the situation. And then of course eventually I'm like, I can't disappoint my friend, I can't blow this opportunity at my favourite festival. I'm gonna walk up. And we're gonna we're gonna do this. My records are still on stage. This is also back then. Like interstitial DJing is not on a side stage. Like it's yeah yeah you're on the main stage. Front, center. And there's only one stage there as well. It's like everyone's there. Yeah. yeah. So the next band has their interval, and I'm like wandering up on stage. I hear music playing, and I'm like confused by that. 
and I start queuing up records and I'm ready and I'm putting the fader up and I'm just wondering what the hell's going on before realizing that I've been replaced by an iPod. <laughs> an iPod classic probably back then. Yeah, <laughs> Pilot, very valuable now. Um, so then, you know, pack up all my records and walk off the stage with my tail between my legs. I remember eventually seeing Comets on Fire and the wind was just like beating so violently that they're like already, like their music's pretty disorientating at the yeah. best of times and their whole sound was just like hard panned right. <laughs> you just couldn't hear anything on the left side because yeah. the wind was just like so treacherous and that was not helping. <laughs> and the slits came on next and I'm like, um, you know, that's real formative music for me. And I was so performative and I was just like, I actually, I can't distinguish whether this is like amazing or the worst thing ever as most Reformation bands are. <laughs> and it just, it just kept on getting worse and worse. <laughs> um, and you're still jumping up in between sets at this point or? Oh no, I'd, I'd, I'd figured that up and I'd, you know, I'd, wallowed in my sorrows that I'd blown it and was most likely never asked back. And I think... Is it a happy ending you were asked back? Uh, maybe like seven years later. <laughs> I think they were prepared to give me a second chance. Um, and I played it very sober and straight. That's it for this month's podcast. If you want to delve more into the Enthusiasms magazine, you can purchase both Issue 1 and Issue 2 over on the Efficient Space Bandcamp page. As for our own magazine, we've just restocked on Issue 4, which is available on our website and in all good record stores. We'll also be heading down to the Stay Soft Night Market this Saturday at Collingwood Yards. It's always such a great evening of local music, food and creative wares, so come vibe. Also, sending out a reminder to sign up to our newsletter, which will be going out later this month in both physical and digital formats. Inside will be some extra festival odes and stories, plus a discount code for tickets to the very delayed launch party, which we'll be announcing in the coming week or so as well. For now, bless from head threads. Until next time. Often the concern is not so much with change of content as with loss of the familiar, identifiable sounds. Sounds which say, you are among your own people. Your own people. Your own people. Your own people.